the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 393 premium for Thursday, April 19th, 2012. Hi, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your questions, you send in your tips, we provide some answers, we provide some tips, we do some research on your behalf, and together, the goal is to all learn quite a few things new each time. Here in sunny Durham, New Hampshire, in the morning, I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. Awesome. How you doing, John? I was getting the coffee going here. All right. Yeah, it's uh, that's just shortly after 9 a.m. for John and I today, which is earlier than usual for us, but uh, but a good time to podcast. Don't you think? Uh, sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> All right. Uh, perhaps we should just dive right in and uh, and then let the show take us where it where it shall. Craig. Oh, Craig. OK. Craig writes. My favorite Mac geeks. I have a situation I thought you might find interesting. I have a 27-inch iMac purchased just after the first of the year. It has a 256-gig SSD as a boot drive and a 1-terabyte conventional hard drive for data. That's my data drive. Uh, as you might success, it, as you might success, I don't know where I came up with that. As you might suspect, it has nothing on it but data. That is my iTunes library, photos, etc. I noticed that the data drive will spin up throughout the day seemingly at random, even though I am not accessing any of the data stored there. It just spins up, I can hear it, and then eventually goes back to sleep. I tend to work with one app at a time, so I don't think it has to do with some other app running in the background. This has not been a real problem, just an annoyance, but actually it does become a problem at night. After the iMac goes to sleep, my UPS shuts off power to several of my peripherals, like my speakers and a few others, and then everyone happily goes to sleep. The problem is, even when the iMac's asleep, that data drive spins up randomly throughout the night, and when my UPS senses the extra current required to spin up the drive, it clicks a relay... And all the peripherals turn on. The iMac screen stays blank and the iMac does not seem to wake up. Just the drive spins up. I know all this because I sleep a few feet from my iMac and it sometimes wakes me up. I don't think it has anything to do with other drives because I turn them off at night. I also know about the daily script that runs, but this problem occurs at random times. I do have the preferences set to wake on land, but the computer does not wake up. And here's the real info. If I unmount the data drive, the problem goes away. This brings up another question, which would become moot for me if you figure out a solution to the problem above. Is there a way to unmount the to mount and unmount the internal drive without rebooting? All right. So let's talk about a couple of things here that would would happen. Number one, if that drive internal to your Mac is spinning up, your Mac is awake. Uh, the screen may not wake up, but but your Mac is awake. And then you're, by your Mac being awake, it lights up the the rest of the peripherals because it's drawing more current, but that that drive internal there is not going to spin up if your Mac, if your iMac is asleep. Um, I have the I have the same iMac actually exact same setup, two fifty six and one terabyte, uh, both internal, but uh, but mine's not in my bedroom; it's across the driveway in the office here. So, uh, but but yeah, that that it's certainly waking up for some reason. Uh, so you could check the console logs at those times to see. Uh, if there's anything there that, that indicates that it's waking it up. One other thing to bear in mind, time machine will back up all internal drives that are 
uh, internal to your Mac, not just the boot drive. So it's possible that what's randomly waking uh, the drive up is that your hourly time machine backups are going. Now, those shouldn't happen while your Mac is asleep. But if the Mac is awake, then the time machine backups will happen and those will spin that drive up to scan it to to pull all the new data off of it. So you could use Time Machine Editor, uh, which is a favorite utility of ours, right, John? And uh, and that will let you in- increase that hourly interval or set a fixed schedule for for backing up. So that's that's number one. Um, I'm trying to think. So we've got those two. Uh, it's possible that that drive has something in it that would spin it up, but I I don't think I don't think that that would be uh, happening uh, as far as mounting. Just because it's from an Apple, and my guess is they've got the firmware right um, for for their computers. Uh, as far as mounting a drive, once you've unmounted it, Disk Utility will do that for you. In fact, Disk Utility will unmount too, but of course, it's easy enough to unmount by dragging it to the trash. But yeah, Disk Utility will see it, and you can select it and mount it. If you want something a little more readily at hand, there are menu bar utilities that will do it. The one I always use is the one built into iStat menus, which allows you to see all connected disks, whether or not they are mounted, and then you can choose to mount them if you like. So that that that's any any thoughts on this, John? A few thoughts. So Go. one, though it may be obvious here, an energy saver. You want to make sure put hard disk put hard disks to sleep when possible is checked. Though I assume that's the case here. Yeah. Would, right. Yeah. Good point. Yep. So just to make sure, um, it wasn't clear to me what. Let me go back here. What brand of drive this is? Well, it, it I would say that that probably doesn't matter because it's factory installed from Apple. Oh, oh, the drives inside of the machine. Yes, yes, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, okay, okay. Like I you said, it's, it's similar to my setup. So yeah, the, the way Apple does it is you can either get an a, a, a regular drive, an SSD, or you can get what they call a, a flash storage. And then a regular drive as well. And that's that's what I have is I've got 256 gigs of flash storage. And I don't know. I haven't cracked it open. Or I haven't looked at the iFixit thing. I probably should uh, to see if that, how that's configured. But my guess is it's not in the form of a drive enclosure. I think it's just, you know, mounted somewhere inside the machine, the flash enclosure and then it, uh, the flash memory. And then and then there's a, another drive. So, yeah, that that's a stock uh, customizable configuration from but 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 available direct from Apple. Okay, because uh, some external drives, and I think uh, I found a few articles here just searching, uh, some WD drives um, apparently require a firmware update in order to not be stupid about sleeping. Right. Uh, yeah, and I see an article right here. They're like, oh, you know, my, my WD drive wouldn't sleep, and then when I applied the latest firmware, then everything's great. So, uh, And then, of course, there's an Apple article we'll link to that uh, – it's always good to keep in mind here, but it's called Mac OS 10. Why your Mac might not sleep or stay in sleep mode. And it does touch on the hard drive sleep okay. mode. So oh. there's a lot of things in there. I'm not going to go over all of them, but it's just a good general article. If you see your uh, Mac not sleeping when you want it to, this can help tell you why. Well, or we have that article. Yeah, well, we'll have to link to this article. There actually is a way. I think is it PM set. You can run PM set and, and uh, the Wait. machine will tell you why you can't sleep. Yeah, that's true. Sometimes that, that that's right. Yes, ah, that's right. We'd stumbled onto that. Uh, it, as long as it, well, it'll tell you if it can't sleep if it's an app that's uh, mm-hmm. that's doing it. So yeah, you um, 
I've, I've found the article here, John. You use PM set. Uh, uh, what is it? PM set dash G G. Yeah. P- G. Yeah. Dash G. And it'll tell you if sleep is imposed by a process, which, which is certainly helpful. That I can tell you if there's time actually backup D uh, can do it. Audio processes can do it. So yeah, we'll put it, we'll put a link to that article in the show notes. That's a good one. I'd forgotten Yay. about that. Smart sleep would be another thing to, to use to kind of, you know, and you can do it from the command line with PM set, of course, but smart sleep makes it easier if you don't want to muck with the terminal to uh, really kind of get a better handle on your, on your sleep settings. Very handy for portable owners, especially portable owners with spindle drives. But uh, I guess perhaps there are less and less of those now as Apple's selling more and more SSD based portables. I think, I think, I think that will be a, uh, that will be something that will happen very soon that we will see the end of all mechanical drive-based portables. I, I predict within the next no. 18 months. No. Why no? I'm going to keep mine. Well, no, no, no. I don't, I don't mean that they'll come and take yours away from you. I, I mean that they just won't be selling anymore. Is that? No. Okay. Okay. No, I think they are going to take mine away. I You're think they, well, th- that's for different reasons though. <laughs> Actually, I just got a Momentus XT I'm looking at. That's the hybrid so far. Yes. Yeah, uh, they shipped one out to me. That's so right. You said that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the first thing I did last night, I actually uh, installed Lion Fresh on it because I do want to make sure I get the uh, recovery partition on the drive. Uh, a clone. Out of curiosity, does Lion see that that... Does Lion see that that drive should support trim? Or actually, I guess it probably wouldn't because it's it's not... A pure SSD, right? Right. Okay. Yeah, I don't that think it sense. does. Yeah, I think only and and yeah, you got to do a hack or something. But I don't think I should enable trim on this. No, I, I think that would be a bad idea. Now that I'm kind of talking it out, that's right. Yeah. All right, on to Joe. You got Joe. I got Joe. Go. Got Joe. Well, I got Go, a cup yo. of Joe, and I'm going to read <laughs> something from Joe. And it's a short and sweet question here, guys. How do I get latitude and longitude data from a picture taken by my iPhone 4S? Get info doesn't do it. No, it does not. It would be nice if it did. I mean, it displays a lot of info about a photo, but apparently is, not that. That is surprising that get info doesn't show that. But, it, but like you said, it doesn't. So, so, so be it. Yes. So here's what you want to do if you do want to get this data. So number one, this is not always embedded. So if you do want, and this is a tip because you you may be, so in this case, Joe absolutely wants the data in there. Now, uh, what some people may not know is that you may may want to turn this off. You may not want to have your location um, embedded in photos you take on your iPhone or other device. And at least on the iPhone, if you go to the settings and location services, you can turn uh, location services on or off for the camera application. So Uh, if you want the data, turn it on. If you turn it off, it will not embed the GPS data. That makes sense. And I would, I would add to that. If you use a third party camera app, this is also kind of a system wide place where you could ensure that that app is also not going to embed your, your data. So your location data. Yeah. And then, so once you bring the photo over to the Mac, well, the, the easiest application to use to view this data, I find, is Preview. Huh. And in Preview, you go to Tools, 
show inspector, and then you'll see a number of tabs of the data um, in the photo. And if there's GPS data, you'll see a little GPS tab. You click on that, it's going to show on a world map where the location is. And, you know, that may be kind of hard to see, but there's a little locate button. And if you click on that, it'll then bring you to Google Maps and show you the location of the, that's embedded in the photo. And of course, any modern, you know, Aperture and, and Lightroom and all, and, and I think even iPhoto, you know, if the data is in there and you click on the right tab, I don't have the specifics, but uh, you, you can see that data as well. But I find preview is a nice way to do it quick and dirty. Huh. Look at that. Hey, that's handy stuff, man. Wow. It's totally right. Yeah, I like how it, especially how it goes to Google Maps and yeah. it opens it up in the browser. I, think I have that's, a, uh, that's pretty slick. I found a picture that actually was synced to my Dropbox camera uploads folder, and it was one that I took uh, about a year ago. And, uh, and man, I mean, it zoomed. I know right where I was when I took this picture, and it's obviously got it right there. Okay, so now I have a follow-up question for you, John. Suppose I wanted to share this picture with, let's say, you, but I didn't want the location of this uh, to be embedded in this picture. It already is there, right? I can't go to location services and turn it off. It doesn't matter because it's already embedded in this picture that I took. How do I scrub this data out of there? And I know you're not prepared for this, but you know, this is a good, no, I am because I I knew you were going to ask this. Um, really? That's awesome. (laughs) Graphic converter has, uh, will offer things in the services menu. Okay. And one of the choices will let you strip out select uh, select data. So that's one. And then the different applications Aperture does, I, I don't have the exact sequence in front of me, but if, if you dig around, you can also scrub that data out of the picture. Ah, okay. But off the top of my head, that is, um, yeah, let me right-click here and see. So if I right-click on a photo, services, remove metadata. Oh. That's something the graphic converter provides. And if you click on that, one of the choices I think will be all EXIF data. I, I don't think you can specifically remove just the location data, but you can scrub all the non-photo data if you want to. That's cool. I'm, I'm Maybe seeing. you can with preview. I've just never tried it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm looking. I don't think you can with preview. Um. Yeah, I'm not, I'm looking here to see if there's a way, but I don't. Yeah. Oh, you know what? We came up with with something else once. Um, it's EXIF data, right? And and there was I thought there was like a, a I thought we had like some little EXIF scrubber thing, uh, but that's not the right name name for it. Uh, but there was something. I oh, thought something called the E. Uh, let me see here. I haven't used this in a while. Something called EXIF editor. Okay. Yeah, that, I wonder if that would do it. No, I think it will. I'm looking here. I haven't used this in a while. EXIF editor. View EXIF data. Edit, create, edit or create. Okay. So I think edit includes deleting. Yeah. And, what's, and, what, and what utility is that? Uh, is this even for Mac here? I'm looking. EXIF pilot was the first one I came up oh, with. Oh, okay. I found one called Photo Linker um, that will let you edit your geotags and part of that is that you can remove them. So I'll pop that into the show notes or into the Skype chat for you to put in the show notes. All right, cool. All right. Well, that was good. So, um, this in a, in a beautiful moment of synchronicity, 
uh, I, I just mentioned the Dropbox camera uploads, which uh, was actually the subject of our next question, because we talked about how great it was that if you turned on Dropbox camera uploads, uh, you could then upload your pictures and get extra Dropbox space just for uploading them. And then you could remove them from there. And uh, and Rick wrote, uh, following the instruction in the last show, I was able to upload images in order to get the additional five gigs of space. Good stuff. I now have a question. You mentioned that I could delete the images and keep the additional space, but I really don't want images to upload each time I insert my memory card into my Mac. How do I turn off the auto uploading of images in Dropbox? What you're going to do, Rick, is you are going to go to the Dropbox little menu uh, bar icon and go to preferences. And then there you're going to go to general. And from general, you will uncheck the bottom button or bottom checkbox, which is enable Dropbox camera support. And that will stop Dropbox from pestering you every time you plug in a camera or anything that appears like a camera, which would be your memory card too, because it's going to see that that's, you know, got pictures on it. So that's the easy way to do it. And I love it when things sync up like that, John. That's a beautiful thing. Indeed. Indeed. All right. Oh, John, I've got one for you here. Let me, uh, let me, let me read this question because not only does our listener Kenneth or Ken want this, but, uh, but I want this too. So Ken writes, some months ago, I tried out Cobook as an address book replacement. It caused crashing, so I removed the installation. Now, all of a sudden, address book calls from other apps are going to Cobook. How do I go about deregistering it as the default application for uh, address book stuff? I vaguely recall that there was a system pref pane for this, but I haven't had any luck Googling for it. There's no setting in WhoPaste, which is the app that he's using, and address book doesn't have a preference like, say, Safari for choosing your default browser. Thanks for whatever you can suggest. And I, I have the same, I have the same need, but for, for different reasons, um, I've got, uh, um, movies are now opening and uh, not movies, um, uh, uh, links are now opening in, in the wrong apps. And, and so I, I need to know how to do this too. And, and it used to be RC default app, John, but I don't know if that works with lion. So I turn to you, my friend. Uh, well, no, you answer your own question. Really? That is. Okay. Yeah, works fine. I have it on Lion. I have it on Snow Leopard and I have it on Lion. I think the place you want to go in that program, so it's called RC Default Apps. Mm-hmm. If you search for that, you'll find it. And that's, it's from a Ruba, Rubicon, I think. I think Rubicon or Rubicode, right? Rubicode. Yeah. All right. Actually, let me bring up my notes here again. All right. And I think that there's two sections that you want to look here, either the apps section. Okay. Um, and if you click on that, it'll show different applications, including address book, and then it'll show a little checkbox for what uh, file types are associated with that. And I think you can fiddle with that. Or there's also an extension section, which shows which, uh, when a file has a certain extension, what app is going to launch. So between those two, I think you'll be able to uh, correct the behavior of this. Oh, ah, yeah. Okay, cool. All right. And, and, and it works for you online. Yeah. Awesome. Comes up, okay. No problem. I had seen version 2.1 hasn't been updated since uh, September of 09. So that that's what gave me pause when I uh, when I saw this question come in. Is there anything else? I thought was there something in does the secrets pref pane also let you edit these things, John? I seem to remember you found something else. Um, but but maybe I don't know. What do I know? 
That's why I'm asking. Secrets you. address book. No, I don't. I don't see anything it. Doesn't it? Doesn't let you uh, edit all that stuff. Okay. I, 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 know, I know there was something else. I know we've come up with something else other than than RC default app. But I do see in secrets they do have a choice that lets you enable the debug menu in address book. Though I don't know if that's going to do anything for you. Ah, uh, all right. No, I was, just, I was just thinking, I thought Secrets had a way of editing the same stuff that RC Default app, not just address book specific, but, but just, you know, in general, but maybe not. All right, cool. Well, then answered. That's what we need. That's what we're here for. Mm-hmm. Got anything else on, on this one? or uh, No, I think that's I'm, it. It's a very interesting application because it, it shows you the... The mess <laughs> of how, you know, how uh, file types and, and all that are associated with applications. And it's, uh, there are a number of ways to do it. And there's also MIME types, you know, that's another way to launch an app, depending on the, on the MIME type that it has. And that, that's mostly, I think, when you, when you get stuff in, uh, in email. No, I think it may also d- depend on, uh, I think that ties into both stuff in the browser and email. But yeah, there's a whole list of MIME types here, and it shows what application will handle a, a certain MIME type. So, oh, and that may that be could be that could be another place to look here because actually, let me look and see if they have a application. No, I don't. I don't see one off the off top of my head here. That uh, does RC default app called. let me edit? Um, I guess I guess URLs is the right term. So if something like, for example, if you have a URL that says itpc colon slash slash instead of http colon slash slash. That will open in, at least by default, in iTunes because it knows that uh, because ITPC is registered as iTunes podcast URL. But uh, and and then also feed colon slash slash indicates that this is going to be an RSS feed. So uh, and you can point those at, at different things. Will RC default app let me edit those type of things, too? I'm trying to I guess. Yeah, I guess it would just be URLs. Looks like from one of the screenshots here, I can. Can yeah, I? I don't I don't see that. I mean, I see a way it'll let you. Well, I see along the. T- so I don't have the app, but I, I have a screenshot up, John, and I'm seeing there is a tab for URLs. Between apps and extensions. Yeah, that's not quite. Uh, yeah, that's that'll, not what I'm looking for, huh? Oh, maybe it, it is. Actually, I'm looking here. The first one it has is Acrobat. No, you. no, I think you're right. OK, okay. yes. Cool. So here, if I click on HTTP, it'll say default app Safari. Okay, Perfect. no, you're right. That's it. URL. So so that'll, and I think, uh, does it have IT, ITPC? And that will launch iTunes. Okay. Oh, look at me go. Hey, that's yes. awesome. Okay, so I definitely need this thing. There's, there's no question about it. I don't know why I don't have it after you've been talking about it for how long have we been doing this show? Seven, almost seven years? Well, normally you don't need to muck around with that, but it sounds like sometimes an app may change this and, and the app, yeah, the app doesn't offer a way to change it back, which is mm-hmm. kind of lame. That is lame. Yeah. 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 That's the problem. All right, cool. Let's, uh, let's hear what John has to ask. Not, not you, unless you have a question of your own that you'd like to ask. In, in which case, many questions. Okay. Do you, do, but, but I can quest- ask them now. Okay. That's then we'll let listener John take this one. Hi guys, this is John from Wisconsin, and uh, I couldn't resist having that little intro for myself in there, uh, being that uh, my last name kind of fits the song. Anyway, my question is with iTunes. When I'm backing up 
my iPhone, and I will include this screenshot. You can see there's like three or four entries if you go under Preferences and Devices. Now, generally, I back up my iPhone uh, every week. Now, I thought there would be at least more than one or more than four entries in there. But um, anyway, the screenshot is there. Are there settings in, in, the, in iTunes? Or any thoughts would be appreciated. Thanks, guys. And here's what I'm going to do so I don't get caught. <laughs> well, thanks for, the, uh, thanks for the enhanced audio comment there, John. That's, uh, we like that kind of stuff, so, so that's good. Um, so, yeah, if you go into iTunes and devices, you will see the device backups, as John indicated. And for him, he's only, the only device that he backs up with this machine is his iPhone, and and he's right. He only sees three backups listed and the current one is fine. Uh, but the older ones are, you know, from many years ago, uh, ones from March of 2011, ones from February of 2011. So here's the thing about uh, the backups on iTunes. It only keeps the most recent copy. It does not keep um it, it, it does not keep incremental copies of your backups. So you can't say, Oh, I need to go back to where my iPhone was uh, two and a half weeks ago on, you know, whatever date that, that would be, you know, at April 1st. Uh, and, and that's just how this works. But you might ask, what are these other things? Well, anytime you upgrade the software on your iPhone or wipe it clean and start from scratch, it starts a new backup set for you. So when you upgrade from, you know, iOS five to, uh, you know, whatever, four to five, uh, it's going to archive off your backup of iOS four and actually it doesn't archive it off. It just freezes it in time and, and it keeps it in place. You can delete those. And, and in your case, John, it's been over a year. Go ahead and delete them. Those things can actually get to be pretty big, depending on how much stuff you keep on your, your phone and how you keep your data there. They can be many, many gigabytes in, in size. So, uh, so it is, you know, the kind of thing that you can clean up after a while, but yeah, it does not keep iterations of backups. Uh, and, and that's just the way iTunes backup works. So, uh, I think that's that. Do you have any thoughts on this, John? No, I think it's pretty straightforward. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah. Well, it's straightforward. <laughs> like many, well, things. unless you see multiple ones, yeah. I'm wondering why, why that happens. Well, I guess it, I, I just said what it happens, right? Oh, because yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just it's when it when when you when you do any sort of, um, you know, restore of your phone, it keeps the old backup and then creates a new one. That, mm -hmm. That's essentially where it, where it comes from. All right, we've got a couple of questions uh, about mail that we'll that we'll talk about here. Graham writes. I have a recurring issue that I do not seem to be able to solve. Periodically, my Apple mail decides to go offline for no apparent reason. Often when the computer sleeps or when the Wi-Fi network changes, I have deleted the account and added it again. But the problem recurs after a while. I've added the screenshots and the error messages for info. A simple close and reopen of mail resolves the problem temporarily, but it always returns after a day or so. I'm running Lion on the latest MacBook Air uh, and all of that good stuff says there's nothing obvious in the console when I search on mail or on iCloud. So any advice would be good. And he's right. He's seeing it uh, where the mail account 
just goes offline. It starts asking for his password and uh, saying that it's rejected. So, uh, and, and, and this is one of those things let's, let's abstract it out uh, away from iCloud for a second. You know, when mail starts acting like this, what can you do? And obviously looking in the console is one thing, uh, but in this case, it's not showing him anything. Uh, Mail though, has some good troubleshooting um, utilities or troubleshooting paths uh, built into it. The first is if you go and this will work on snow leopard or lion, I know he's on lion and probably most of you are, but, uh, but if you go to the window menu, you can go to connection doctor. And then once you're there and that's actually going to even, even before you do the next step, that's going to show you all of your accounts that you have defined both incoming accounts for pop and IMAP and also outgoing accounts for SMTP. And if they don't all light up green, then that tells you that mail can't connect to them. When you open connection doctor, it tries to connect to everything uh, just to kind of give you a a deal. Uh, Then you can hit show detail at the bottom. When you do that, it uh, will begin showing you the logs of all of the connections that it's trying to make. And this can be somewhat overwhelming. Uh, I mean, it's, it's all the raw commands that are sent back and forth to and from the mail server. But what can be really handy here is if you have one account that will not work, turn this on and then go check for mail in that account and take a look here and see what the actual error message is. Mail is really not that great at giving you error messages. I mean, it'll tell you, I, you know, it'll say the password or username and password was rejected, but it's not always good at telling you exactly what the server said back. And the server might say back, uh, I can't, you know, can't log you in because I have a problem, right? And you could go nuts trying to diagnose this on your own when really the mail server is telling you, hey, look, I have a problem. I can't let you in right now. You know, that that kind of thing is really handy to see. So Connection Doctor in the window menu is a good, uh, is, is probably the best place for this type of problem because it's going to give you a lot of information and the raw information to, uh, to, you know, it's essentially a console log for, for mail, if you will, transaction log. The other thing to look at there is, uh, and this probably won't help with this problem, but just in general with mail troubleshooting is the window activity viewer that will show you what's going on, uh, at any point in time, it's not as granular as the connection doctor, but it'll kind of give you an overview of here's what I'm doing. And I have, you know, X number of connections live that I'm that I'm transacting with it at the moment. And that that can also be handy because you can see if something's stuck and you can stop it and and kind of let it let it. Um, let it go. So that'll tell you in in this case, if it's the server or if it's you, uh, if it appears to be something on your Mac, that gets a little trickier because it's recurring, but not constant. Um Mail could be dealing with a damaged cache file or something that gets reset on app launch. I mean, you're saying that if you quit and come back in, kind of resetting that connection helps at least for a while. Uh, You know, to me, that says run Onyx and see if that clears out your caches and and see if that helps. It's certainly not going to hurt. And that might be the answer to your problems. You could have some damaged file that it's trying to write something to, and it can't, and then it's getting itself out of sync. You know, I'm, I'm conjecturing here, but, but that's, that's certainly what I would do from a troubleshooting standpoint. If looking at connection doctor didn't give me a a clear answer as to what we were looking for. So those are, those are my thoughts on this one, John, do you have any, any additional? 
Uh, I have one additional because I've seen it happen over the last uh, couple of days here. Um, Well, you may want to go to the iCloud system status page. Oh, yeah, sure. And that's at apple.com slash support slash iCloud slash system status. And look at this recently on both 417 and 418. They were having uh, uh, problems with mail. Hmm. Saying users may have a, so, so look there. Uh, I I gotta say I've I don't I think I ever had a problem with mobile me mail servers never responding, but I've had several cases where yeah you'll see this you know iCloud i you know some server name that has IMAP in it somewhere and it says it's rejected and I agree with you the error message is wrong because sometimes it's the the servers are down or not responding to anyone. So be sure to check that page first to find out what's up. Yeah, that's actually a great idea. That's even better than digging through the connection details because those can be long in the tooth sometimes. Or just long in the list, I guess. All right. Um, moving on to Marion. Marion actually asks, uh, he has three questions. I believe it, this is Marion is a he. If, if, uh, if I got that wrong, my apologies. But, uh, but Marion asks three questions, the first of which is very similar to this, uh, having the same problem with Yahoo Mail. And, uh, and so, but, but, and at the end of it, he says, you know, sometimes I can't get my mail and I have to wipe the account and start over. And he says, uh, when I do that, it takes a long time to pull the messages back in as I have, you know, five or 6,000 messages on my IMAP server. And the download speed, according to the mail activity window, is about five kilobits per second, even though I have a hundred megabits per second connection at home. Please advise. And and a couple of these things are going to talk about speed because Marion uh, has a fast connection at, at, at home. But it's important to remember that when you have a fast network, even though it's going, even though the, the capability is for it to go at 100 megabits uh, latency and that being the time that it takes to send a piece of data and then wait to hear back that the other party got it plays a huge part when dealing with smaller files. And when you're dealing with mail, it's a, it's a very transaction heavy, very chatty thing that's happening. You're not just saying, you're not just sending one command that says, Hey, I'm here, blast all my mail at me and I'll let you know when I got it. You know, what's happening is you're saying, give me a list of all the messages that I have. Okay. Send me message. Number one. Okay. I got it. Send me message. Number two. Okay. I got it. And so on. So that's a very, high, uh, you know, high level of, of conversation that's happening there. And each one of those, uh, takes a little bit of time because you you have to send it and then wait for the response and send it and wait for the response. So when you're, when you're transferring lots of small files and this happens when you're doing a time machine backup over the network too, or even to a local drive, it's going to go much faster if it's backing up a large file, uh, than it will if it's backing up many, many small files. And, and so, so that's, that's important to remember it. There's nothing you can do about it. Uh, but it just is, is what it is. So that's, uh, and that's, that's, you know, now we're getting kind of off, off in the deep end, but that's where an SSD, when you're do, talking about doing this to a local hard drive really, really starts to pay off because the latency is so low on that. You can make transactions. You can make many more uh, small transactions in a given period of time than you can with a, uh, with a, a standard, you know, traditional mechanical drive. And, and that's where some of the, like the hybrid drive that John's talking about here. Uh, the Momentus XT 
it tries to kind of mitigate that. It uses the, the disk for the big storage, but tries to cache as much as possible up on this um, SSD portion of the drive so that your, your quick transactions actually happen very, very quickly. Am I too far off the, the, uh, the map here now, John? Mm. No, you're still on the map. Okay, good. Uh, so uh, his second question is, he says on YouTube, uh, and this is a very recent issue, so it might be resolved before you reply, but I throw it in anyway, uh, just to see if you've heard of it. Simply, I've been having issues using YouTube on my Mac lately. The videos take forever to load, even on the basic resolution, or they will not load at all, and I, all I'm getting is the YouTube spinning wheel. I've tried several browsers. I've reinstalled Safari, Flash, all with no effect. The least affected seems to be Chrome, uh, but it's not flawless either. I've restarted both my modem and the Airport Express, but nothing helps. Is there a way to reinstall YouTube? Just in case you're wondering, it affects both embedded and YouTube site videos. Vimeo, for instance, is fine. I've seen this before. Uh, I've I've not seen it all that recently, but but certainly, you know, maybe six months ago, I was seeing this constantly more on my iPad than on my Mac. And any time I had this problem, I changed my DNS server to a different DNS server and then it worked fine. Um, and as it might turn out, I, the one that I would default to to change it to when I'm testing things is Google's DNS. And of course, Google owns YouTube. So perhaps there's more to this than than uh, than just changing. But uh, the the DNS Google DNS server is very, very, very easy to remember, which is why I do it. It is eight dot eight. Get a pencil. Are you ready, folks? For the for the remaining two octets, dot eight, dot eight. That's right. Four eights in a row. Eight dot eight dot eight dot eight. And that uh, that's a very easy one to remember. So uh, and you can do that on your Mac. You go into system. You have to be an administrator to do this, but you go into system preferences, network, and then go to whatever your connection is, be it Wi-Fi or um, Ethernet. Click on advanced and then change DNS right there. Uh, the one thing I will point out is when you change DNS on your device, it may, though not always, it may screw up uh, your ability to find other local resources, depending on how you're managing DNS in your house. So probably best not to necessarily leave it this way, but certainly good as a test. And you can do the same on your on your iOS devices by going into settings, Wi-Fi, choose your Wi-Fi network. And uh, and then in the T in the DHCP section, you can actually go and edit the DNS just by tapping on it. It's not obvious, but because uh, it's already going to be filled in with whatever your router gave it. But you just tap on it and you can edit it right there. So handy stuff. But but that that always seemed to to help me down my solution path when, when I had this weird YouTube thing. Have you ever seen that, John? I haven't seen it, but I will suggest uh, in the DNS world here, there yes. is something uh, that I looked at in the past here, but this may help identify DNS issues. And that's a uh, utility called Namebench, code.google.com slash P slash Namebench. And uh, that is a utility that will benchmark uh, your DNS and other DNSs, including Google, I believe, is included in that and tell you which one uh, gives the best performance. So that's cool. Cool. Yeah, and as you said, you, you could change it. My other observation is that sometimes uh, I think YouTube gives different priority to different videos. And they almost always when an ad is getting ready to be served up, that comes over lickety split. 
<laughs> and then when you actually want to view the video you want to view, uh, that, that, that goes slower. So I think sometimes it's how they prioritize uh, handing out the, uh, the video stream traffic. Yeah, my, my problem was that I would, I would get the beginning of the video, maybe the first you know, 20 or 30 seconds, and then the, the stream of it to me would just stall. Um, and this was happening inside the YouTube app on the, on the I, iPad, I guess at the times, what I had more problems with, but changing DNS often, though, not always helped. So, all right, uh, let's see. Uh, whoa, now I need to get back to my agenda on my iPad now that I've lost all that, which is, uh, which is good. Right. Hey, you know, oh. I'm going to, I'm going to throw a cool stuff found in, uh, there's a, because it's up on my iPad screen right now. There's there's a lot of different services uh, for reading, for saving things to read later. Uh, there's Instapaper, which is really, really popular. And what and, and what these do is you're browsing the web and or you see a link in your Twitter client or something. You say, ah, I want to read this, but not now. And I want to read it later. And, and there was a service called read it later and a service. There is a service called Instapaper. And uh, and and you can kind of dump things to those and then download them into an app on your iPhone or your iPad or, or even onto your Mac and then read them later. And on your iPhone and iPad, you can read them offline, which is cool. Very, very, very cool. Makes it great for for news junkies if you're kind of doing one thing and and searching around and then later you want to go back and read maybe a, an article that was a little longer than your typical little news snippet. Well, uh, read it later just I think yesterday, maybe last night, uh, changed their, their brand. And now it's called pocket at getpocket.com. But man, this service is so cool because it's not just using, it, it doesn't just let you use articles. Uh, you can put videos and pictures and all kinds of things into your, uh, your queue and, and then just kind of have them there. So it's really, really good stuff. And the UI on pocket is, uh, is so cool. I, I had used to read it later a while back and, uh, and kind of became an instant paper guy, but, uh, but pocket has this killer UI. It's uh, so, and there's even a way to import all your stuff from instant paper. If you, if you decide, you know, you're using one and you want to make the switch. Um, although I haven't done that yet, but uh but I did start using it last night and pocket is, uh, is free near as I can tell though. There may be a, a, a paid service. Uh, it might be kind of a freemium sort of thing, but, uh, but it certainly, um, it certainly works and it's, it's integrated well into a lot of different apps. Some of your apps on your iOS devices might still call it, uh, read it later, but it, it works with the, the new app, which is called pocket. So, I throw that in because it was up on my screen as I was getting back to uh, to our show notes. You ready to take Rowan, John? You betcha. All right. And here's the question. Recently, I have been getting the error message process picked, picked D quit unexpectedly. Just seems to occur randomly and occurs multiple times over a few minutes before going away. So far, I can't find any consistent cause and I'm not using any particular software at the time as far as I can tell. What is likely to trigger this particular process? So, and I actually <laughs> found it. <laughs> so, something with a D on the end is probably a Unix daemon or daemon. And um, as far as I can tell, both pronunciations are correct depending on where you went to school or... 
how long ago you started using Unix. And it, but I found both pronunciations being used. Yeah, and it, it um, regardless of pronunciation, a, a, a daemon is a daemon. A thank you. <laughs> it's a a process that is built to kind of sit as a almost as a server and 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 do things and spit out results, if you will. You know, Apache, which is a very, very popular web server, runs as a, a, a D process, right? I mean, it's uh, MySQL, the server end of it, which is a database server, runs as a D process. Uh, so that, that's, that's just one of those things. So when I decided to try, so I'm like, oh, you know, that could be a, a Unix process. Well, let me go to the terminal and type man, which is manual page and picked D and see, uh, see what I come up with. And well, that wasn't, I thought that's a good general tip, but it didn't come up with anything very useful. It said, Oh, general helper tool. <laughs> Pick D is a helper tool for the cocoa frameworks. There are no configuration options. Users should not run it manually. Okay. Well, then I did a bit more digging and it, uh, and then the other thing I noticed is, oh, it has the word picked in there. Gee, you know, that may have something to do with pictures. And it does indirectly what it actually has to do with. So I did a bit more, uh, a bit more Googling. And apparently what this is responsible for is generating quick look previews for picked images. Now, picked is a pretty old format and not one that. Uh, as far as I know, I mean, you know, it was a, it, it's an old format and I don't think anybody should really be using it. I, I suppose you can if you want, but I think it was the first format for pictures on the Mac. It could be. And I think I some know. graphics and icons and stuff still could be in that format. But, uh, yeah. but anyways, here's, uh, so here's what I came up with. So I, I wrote to Rowan and said, well, you know, it seems to have something to do with quick look previews. Um, you know, do you have any picked files on your computer? So maybe they're corrupt or something. And, uh, Rowan wrote back and apparently that was it. And he says, Oh, well, thank you. It was very interesting. You went one step deeper than I did and hit the nail on the head by doing a spotlight search for dot picked. I got a whole bunch of clip art images in a Microsoft office, 2008 folder. Every time I did a search, as soon as the finder window popped up, the error message would occur. Cool. So it seems to pick D and apparently there's uh, I think some sort of mismatch uh, that we, we, we both found uh, comments on this problem here. Um, Let's see. PicD is used by the 64-bit OS to generate quick look images for legacy 32-bit quick draw format. Uh, um, and I think he included an error report, but anyways, what he did was delete the .picked files because he, he didn't need them, and the problem seems to have gone away. So, well, that's, that's one way to solve it, right? That's good. Yeah, I'll yeah. delete the files that delete are them. causing the process to crash, sure. Yeah. Yeah. It, it would be interesting simply from a troubleshooting standpoint, not at all from a solving the problem and saving time standpoint, but it'd be interesting to find known good picked files and see if pick D still crashes. And if so, then there might be a problem with pick D um, on that machine. And uh, maybe it, maybe it's just corrupted and needs to be reinstalled though. I think reinstalling it would mean reinstalling some portion of the OS because I don't think Apple offers a standalone picked D installer, but um but, you know, you could. Uh, there is a little Unix command. If you want to find out where something lives, you can. And this, I'll actually, I might have done this. Well, you can do this. So, so if you go onto your, your Mac into the terminal and type locate space, and then, uh, in this case, picked D, uh, I believe 
if the locate database has not yet been built on your Mac, it will give you the command that you need to issue to build that. And then it will update it. Uh, I believe weekly is when it goes through and updates the locate database once it's built. But, uh, but assuming it's been built, then I, on mine, at least on this Snow Leopard machine that I'm on, I can see that the PICD binary lives in user slash S or USR slash SBIN slash PICD. So you could copy that from one Mac that's running the same OS over to yours and see if that helps. But there's also a, a plist file, John, in system library launch agents called com.apple.pickd.plist, which really doesn't have any arguments other than to say, start up this service and sit there, wait for someone to need you. And that's what it does. Good stuff. Yeah, no. Yeah, I guess you could also use which. From the Unix from the Unix command line, right? Oh. W H I C H. That's an interesting one because um, man, we're going into weird spots here, but that's good. Uh, it's geeky spots. So in Unix, you have um, when you type a command at the command line, it searches all of the things that are defined as your path uh, and or, or paths. It when when you log into a Unix machine it and or when you fire up a terminal session, it sets all of these things for you and you can edit your profile uh, again via the command line to set different directories to be searched. And so there's some default ones and that's typically all you're going to need. But uh, but if you type which W.H.I.C.H. and then a command, it will tell you which command if in case there are multiples is the one you're going to run. And it might not be an obvious thing. You might have, you know, you might have downloaded something and it might be right there in the directory that you're in. But when you type which it says the system says, no, I'm going to go run this one over in uh, in user bin because that's higher up in your path than whatever directory you're in. So, you know, it's just another way to find commands is really is really the, the short way of saying that. So you can find out where it is, which pick D. And again, it shows me user S bin slash pick D. So you could copy that from another Mac in theory. I don't know what that would, you know, if that would help or not, but it might be other libraries that it depends on. Good. Yeah. Good. All right. On to Todd. Should, should I, should I sure. reel myself back in here? Yeah. Get back on track. All right. Thanks. Hi, Gabbers. ADD Todd here. Listening to your current freemium podcast. You're talking about time machine backups. Which reminds me of a question that I need information on. I'm running a roughly 2008 MacBook. I've got a 160 gig drive in there. It's split into the drive and boot camp. My time machine backup is a 200 gig drive. I'm running out of space on there. Now, I've gone into time machine backups and do, well, let me give an example for today. Today I had 89 gig free. I went in, I deleted downloads and some other, well, sorry, emptied the directories of downloads and some other folders, then did a fresh uh, start backup, and now I'm down to 60-some-odd gig. I don't get it. I'm only using, let's see, I think I got it split to 100 for Mac and 60 gig for boot camp. I should be having a whole lot more free space. I'm only using 80 gig of my Mac. Um, can you help me out here? Currently, I'm in uh, disk utility and clearing free space to see if that will make a difference. I'm obviously not 
touching anything, so I went ahead and made the sparse image. While he goes ahead and cleans out, I would prefer not to simply reformat and reuse as a backup because I may have documents and stuff that I'm not aware of that are not reflected on my Mac but are in my backup. Any help you can give me on the freemium, greatly appreciate it. Not going to give you any personal details other than, than to say, and don't get caught. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thanks, Todd. Um, yeah, so it's it, very important to remember that Time Machine will not get smaller until it hits a wall, right? So your Time Machine backup will do nothing but grow in size until it hits a wall. And the reason for that is it's keeping all the old stuff that you may have deleted or may not have. So deleting something from like you did, you emptied your downloads folder, uh, won't go and delete that from your time machine backups automatically. Uh, we'll talk about a way of, of manually going in and, and doing that, but, but left left to its own devices. Time machine will just keep going and going and going. And even, um, even as it cleans itself out, uh, it's going to to leave space in there, and and because it knows it needs more, so it's gonna it's gonna go ahead and and claim lots and lots of space, right up until it runs out of it, and then it'll go back and start deleting some of the older stuff. So that that's what you're seeing here. If you want to limit the amount of space that your time machine backup takes up, you have to limit the partition size that you allow it to see. Would you Would you agree with that, John? Am I saying that right? I think that's the only way you can do it. Yeah. 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 Okay. So Otherwise, yeah, it consumes all resources eventually, just like computers. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or software. Software will uh, eventually consume all RAM and resources if you let it. Well, if it's not written properly, software right. can be written right. to release RAM. It oh, should, I know. It should I be. Know. I know you know this. Right. Um, but here's a, here's an interesting thing. Your downloads folder. If you want to, if you know that, and I've done this downloads folders, uh, perhaps a unique example for you, Todd, but maybe not. Uh, but I've certainly done this when I've had virtual machines that take up gigabytes and gigabytes of, of space. And then I back them up and then I realize, you know, I don't want to be backing that up to time machine and I go and exclude it in my time machine system preference. Well, that excludes it from all future backups, but if it's already been baked into a prior backup, it's going to stay out there until time machine decides that it's time to delete it. But you might want to go in and say, Hey, I don't need this. It was just a default install of windows. It's taking up four and a half gigs in my backups. Uh, and I don't want to keep that around anymore. What you can do is you go into time machine by, by doing your standard enter time machine, like you would to restore files and navigate uh, in the finder to the folder that you want to delete. And then you can, I believe, Oh, am I, am I risky? No, I'm not going to do it here. Uh, I think you highlight the folder and then I don't think it's a right click. I think you go at the top of the finder window to the time machine menu and you can choose, help me on this, John. Do you know it off the top of your head? I think it's remove from backups. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm firing up time machine on, on okay. the machine now and it's uh, taken a little while, but yeah, I, or I thought it was in the action menu, the little, little gear menu. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, you're 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 pointing at a, a way to uh, purge. Yeah, it's in the actions menu. That's right. It's in the actions menu, and there is an option there to delete from the backup. I don't. It, you're you're absolutely right. Yeah, it's it's not a right click thing, but but that will then delete all backups of anything 
that, you know, that's related, either a specific file, if that's what you're telling it, or that folder, it will delete any backups of that folder that you've ever made. And this can be really handy in a situation like Todd's where he says, look, I don't need my backups folder in my backups anymore. So I'm going to go ahead and delete all of that stuff. But just by doing that won't necessarily compress down your sparse disk image uh, because the sparse images retain space for lack of a more technical explanation uh, and, and, and will then fill that space as more stuff comes in. So they, they, but they may not get smaller or it might, it really depends on how the system chooses to manage that particular sparse image. And there's a lot of factors that go into to that decision process. So do you have it, John? Are you there yet? No, almost. Okay. All right. Well, no, my, my machine just started doing a, uh, doing a backup. Oh, nice. It's 10 <laughs> o'clock. So, Oh, right. Of course. Yeah. 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 All right. Well that, but that's definitely where it is. You just can navigate to the folder and, um, and, and hit the, uh, hit the gear menu and choose delete backup or delete from yes. backup. Yeah. Yeah. I found an article here and yeah, that's a, yeah. Delete backup. Okay. Cool. Or I think it's delete backup. And I think another thing is delete all. So I think you can either delete a specific one or, or all of them. Right? Yep. I think that's right. I think yeah. that's right, John. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it'll, it'll ask you to confirm that, you, you know, are you sure you know what you're doing? And, and you say, yeah. And then, and then it'll actually, you'll, you'll go back to your normal finder interface and you'll see a little progress bar that as it, um, similar to the one that you get when you do your first time machine backup, uh, you'll see a little progress bar that says deleting from backup and, and then it'll, uh, it'll do its thing. That's how it works. All right. Um, Eric has a, uh, a, an, a common, I think a common problem or at least something that will lead us somewhere common with syncing your Google calendars. Eric writes, ever since I started using Apple's iCloud, I've lost my link to Google calendar from my iPhone. Any suggestions as to how to reestablish this link without starting from scratch? Okay. Uh, I think in, in this case, starting from scratch is the only thing to do, but it's really not a big deal. Your Google Calendar exists out on the cloud. All you need to do is sync up your your um, iPhone or iPad or any iOS device with it. So we'll just talk about how to do that. And I think, um, in fact, I know because I heard back from Eric uh, that this will get you get you down that path. So what you're going to do is you're going to go to I, on your iPhone uh, or your iPad. You go to settings and then mail, contacts and calendars. Uh, and then what you're going to do is you are going to uh, and I'm going to walk through this process so that we get this right go to mail contacts and calendars you click add account this is interesting you choose microsoft exchange um, and then you put in your email address and uh, uh which would be your gmail address or whatever your address is uh your username is also your email address and then your password is whatever that is and you can give it a description, whatever you like. At the moment, you can leave domain empty. Hit next. As soon as you do that, it's going to authenticate with the server. And then another field is going to pop up named server. In that server, you put in m.google.com. This is a very interesting thing. Once you've done that, uh, then you will have a, uh, a kind of a standard thing but it'll be it'll be a standard little thing and you get to choose whether you have mail 
contacts and or calendars synced. Uh, depending on how you want to do things, you might want all of those. You might just want calendars. It depends on how you want to do it. Uh, this is only capable. You're only able to connect to m.google.com from mobile devices you, as an exchange server. You can't connect to an, it as an exchange server from your Mac. And I think that's a licensing thing with between Google and Microsoft, actually. But for, for whatever it's worth. Uh, so in, in your case, just make sure you turn on at least calendars. Once you do that. Uh, then you'll want to uh, go into your calendar on your iOS device and let it sync up. Here's the thing, though. It's only going to sync with your main Google calendar the first time you do this. But it's important to do this because it gets kind of the, the, the foundation of the connection ready. Then, and you, you have to do this from your iOS device. You can't go to your Mac and do this next step. You have to stay on your iOS device. Go into Safari or whatever browser you want, but I've always done it with Safari. And go to m.google.com slash sync, S-Y-N-C, and log in with the same Google account. When you do that, it will show you uh, your all of the iOS devices that you have ever connected to this account. And even though you may have sold them or destroyed them, they will all still list be listed here. And there's nothing you can do to remove them. But it is what it is. Choose the iOS device that uh, that you just most recently synced. And it may not be easy because you might have, you know, if you've had a couple of iPhones in your life, you may just see iPhone. But look at the time that it was most recently synced. When you do that, uh, it will uh, show you a, a list of all of your calendars and, and it'll give you some email settings at the top. You'll see that only one of your calendars is checked. Check all of the calendars that you want to appear on your iOS device and then hit save. Once you've done that, now you can go back into the calendar in iOS and it will resync with Google and pull down all of these other calendars. And then on your iOS device, you can choose whether or not to show them. But you have to go through this, this interim step of m.google.com slash sync to, uh, to manage this. Now, the good news is if you have an iPad, you can manage everything from there. You can manage all of your phones and all of that stuff. So you're not, you know, tapping buttons on your, on your little iPhone screen, but, uh, but you have to do it from some sort of iOS device uh, in order to, uh, in order for Google to let you do that. So that should get you back in business. A little quirky, but once you get it up and running, it works great. I love it. And I think you do the same thing, right, John? Yeah. And that was the big head scratcher is uh, unless you go to that Google sync uh, site, it appears that it's not working. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know how I'm, I'm sure I found it in some Google knowledge base. I mean, I obviously didn't stumble onto it. You know, uh, the, the, that's one of those things someone has to tell you you need to do. But I don't know why they don't tell you that. Like the moment that you connect, I don't know why you have to do this anyway. I mean, but whatever, you know, it is what it is. So that's my that's my story. And I'm sticking to it. But it does deserve a fist shake. Because it's, you know, the most unintuitive thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Well, maybe, maybe not that bad. Anything more on this, John? Mr. Braun? Can you still hear me, John? Or did we lose Skype connection? Folks, I think we've lost John. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put the show into pause here. And we'll see where, uh, where old Mr. Braun is. Are you back, John? Yes. All right. So what, what happened there? 
uh, Skype just totally wedged. But then came. I thought my system locked up. Yeah, it was sitting there for like 30 seconds and then the system was totally unresponsive. So is that is it that machine that was doing a backup? Is that right? No, no. Different machine doing the backup. Right. Okay. because I'm just trying to think, you know, you're doing Skype. You've got piezo running, which is saving to a local disk or a, a network drive. Uh, local local for a backup recording. No, I don't know what happened. I think it's the beta. Um, yeah, that's, um, I mean, the cursor was going, you know, things were happening in my menu bar. It was just, uh, couldn't, couldn't switch apps or anything. And then all of a sudden it came back. I'm surprised. Yeah. It didn't wedge like it did when, you know, the, there's a, I think a known issue between Skype and, uh, wiretap. Ah, right. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Fascinating. Well, it's good that it uh, that it came back. Anything in your console logs? Hmm. I mean, this is, you know, this is what we do. I wonder if it was a uh, an interrupt thing where it just got so, you know, something was happening there and it just had to hang out because audio, you know, obviously requires. Real time kind of access to the hardware, if you will. Oh, great. Oh, did I did I screw you up again by having you launch? Console? No, no, no. Oh, OK, no, I'm just noticing all these. No, remember, I thought there was a problem. I, I had a piece of parallels left over. Oh, yeah. I'm seeing this POSIX spawn error because, yeah, I don't think I totally cleaned that up. Uh, you took out the, the files, but not the not the launch, the launch agent. Or whatever. Yeah. 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 That's all I got in my console. <laughs> all right. Well, at least you're back. That's good. That's good. Yes. All right. Uh, let's see. Let's go to. Uh, so did you have anything more to add on the, the Google Calendar sync thing, which was where we were when nope. uh, when this all went south? All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, going to Michael. He says I have an early 2008 Mac Pro running Snow Leopard uh, with four gigs of memory, a 750 gig boot drive two one gigabyte, one terabyte. I'm going to assume drives. And my backup drive is a GTEC three terabyte firewire drive once in a while if i'm very lucky i can click on an icon and the program loads most of the time however any icon i click on will not load i have three backups on my gtech drive time machine super duper and carbon copy cloner i also have a crash plan backup in the cloud with some files not the entire machine i'm guessing this symptom means that my boot drive is hosed and i have to replace it my question if i do install a new hard drive and try to restore from super duper or carbon copy cloner can I be assured that these backups are good and will not restore a bad copy, giving me the same problems I have now? Interestingly, Time Machine will only backup once. When it tries to do it again, the icon just spins and there's no activity light flashing on my backup drive. Okay, so you definitely have a problem. But let's stipulate that. Um, and while I'd be pretty sure, it, certainly if it's a hardware problem with that boot drive like you suspect, then certainly uh, restoring from a backup wouldn't replicate the problem because you wouldn't be restoring to the same hardware. But of course, that's hard to say for certain because we don't know for certain that the hardware is the problem. To better confirm that it's the boot drive, uh, the first thing, this, this could also be the result of file system corruption, which is different than, than disk corruption, as we talked about recently, right? So I, I would do a file system check, which you can do um, if it's, I think you said it, no, you're running Snow Leopard. So you got to do a single user startup, command S, uh, 
And then when, when that, it'll give you all your Unix stuff and then it'll give you a command line. And right above that command line is an, is a, a command uh, description for F S C K type that whole thing in and, uh, and then hit enter and it will scan. And if necessary and if possible, fix the drive. And if it fixes it, it'll actually run a scan again. So I would do that first. And if it finds problems and is able to fix them and then scan clean, I would then try to reboot and see if everything works again. Uh, that, that might get you through this. If that doesn't do it, then I, I would do a, in this case, I would do a hardware test on this, John. I, I'd, I'd scan the, the, you know, using I mean, that, that means a third party utility like drive genius, but you know, something to scan the disc to make sure that the disc actually has a problem. Um, that would be, that would be my thought before you go out and spend money to replace the disc, but maybe you've got another disc and you can just, you know, do that with one of the others. That would be my thought. I don't know what, I don't know what your thoughts are, John. Maybe hopefully you're still here. Um, it sounds like, a. I don't know, the one thing I would try, because it sounds like the problem is launching apps. So, well, and also, I mean, re, it, I think it's bigger than that, though, because he can't back up Time Machine a second time, which means, you know, the, 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 the second time through, it's going to scan things. So I, that's what makes me start to think file system corruption, because it really relies on on um, on that type of stuff to figure out what to back up next. The one thing I'd try just to eliminate being, you know, something corrupt, uh, you know, get Onyx, go to the cleaning option. And there's, you know, a lot of, a lot of caches there. I'm wondering if, if yeah. one of the caches is uh, messed up. So I don't think it can hurt to try that first and see if that fixes any of these problems. Yeah. I'm with you on that. That's good. Yeah. So that's, that's what we got. All right. We, um, we have a couple of cool stuff found and then, and then we're out of here and we're gone for a week. So before we do the cool stuff found uh, a couple of things, very important. Number one on Monday, which would be the 23rd. Make sure you wish John a happy birthday, right? That's right. I got that right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's nice to have a birthday. It's a good thing. Uh, and then, um, and then we'll be back uh, the following week. Oh, I was going to ask you this after the show, uh, but I might as well just ask you here in the middle of the show, John, since I'm going to be away next week. Uh, and of course I'll get back to my desk Monday morning and be totally swamped. I, I would like to propose that we switch jobs for uh, Mac geek of three That being you uh, prepare the show and I'll do the show notes afterwards. Can we do that? No, Oh man, please. <laughs> well, maybe I'll All right. consider it. Okay, cool. It's just easy. Just, you know, throughout the week, just go through the questions, queue them up and then, uh, you know, mm -hmm. sort them into an agenda and we'll, we'll roll with it. I think it'll make us appreciate what each other does. Mm -hmm. So, uh, that'd be great because that way it doesn't mean I have to, uh, get back and, and like be buried in an avalanche of everything. And at the same time, prep a show. So that'd be awesome. Uh, all right. Anything else other than those two things? Cool stuff found. Right. Oh, okay. Uh, the first is from, well, I guess it's the second because I already did one. I slipped one in earlier without even planning it, uh, is Tom and Tom writes just a little iOS tip. One of the weaknesses of iOS is in mail and contacts specifically iOS lacks mailing lists, uh, which allow you to type the name of a list in the to field and an email is sent to everyone on that list. That's the groups in address book. Uh, and he's right. You can't send to a group with just one fell swoop. 
says, as had been pointed out on your show a number of times, though, an email can be inserted into a field by typing an iOS shortcut. You go to settings, general, keyboard, add new shortcut. Type the shortcut letters into the shortcut field and the email address into the phrase field. But what many people, many people might not know is that you can type a comma separated list of email addresses in place of a single address. When you compose an email and type the shortcut in the to field, the comma separated list appears. Hitting send leads iOS to warn you that the list is not a valid email address. If you ignore this warning and hit send anyway, the email is sent to everyone in the list. That's pretty cool. I like that. That's good stuff. I love I love the the system wide shortcuts on iOS. I wish they were more robust. Really, I wish that Apple would let third parties do things system wide. But I get that you know that won't happen because then we could have text expander and really do it you know like the right way. But it uh, it's not going to happen. So at least I don't think so. Maybe if they buy text expander, that would be the only way it would happen. Uh. Another thing in Lion Mail, and this kind of came in in answering a question for listener Austin, is that uh, there's there's an interesting thing that is off by default in Lion's Mail. Of course, Lion's Mail has the new, uh, it's not that new, but different from Snow Leopard, the the, the different view by default. Uh, one thing that's not on by default, though, is if you go to preferences, viewing, there's a checkbox almost at the bottom that says include related messages, John. If you do this, what's awesome is it automatically like if I sent you a message and then you replied to me, it would pull my message that I sent in below that. And, and if there, if we had a, a trail back and forth, it would actually pull all of them in uh, just to show it's not actually moving them to the inbox. In fact, it tells me what mailboxes those archives are all in. It might be in sent or it might be in saved or whatever, but, uh, but it pulls them all in. So I don't have to go and find. And if, you know, if the whole trail wasn't kept in our email, although you and I are really good about doing that, but some people aren't, it's really handy to see everything all there all at once. And if you have multiple people conversing, it just pulls it all together. Really, really handy stuff. So that, that's, um, that's cool. Yeah. Some of you may hate that of course, but, uh, but it's good to know about and good to experiment with. So those are the, those are the two I had this week, John, or the two I'd seen. Do you have any? Uh, no, no. All right. Well, this has been your morning edition of Mac Geek Out. Why is it? Why? Yeah. Ugh. No, that's good. I think we do good in the morning. It's nice. It keeps it fresh. A nice way to I start get the, the coffee. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I can't do caffeine. It's, uh, it makes me mm-hmm. too crazy. Yep. <laughs> yep. All right. Uh, let's see. Well, if you want to contact us, you being our premium listeners get to do that at premium at macgeekgab.com mm-hmm. you're, you're not awake are you you go wake up man you were awake for the show now now it's i'm now, awake now it's time to sleep okay good and i heard you say premium at macgeekgab.com you're darn right i said premium at macgeekgab.com that's the way we roll here uh, you can send, of course, text, email, picture. Well, it, it is email, text, pictures, videos, uh, whatever might help to solve the problem. Uh, one thing, you know, uh, that uh, uh, we had Marion earlier in the show who, who had emailed us. Actually, we talked about two of his his uh, questions, but there really were there were three or maybe more. And he said at the bottom, sorry about putting these all into one email. Uh, they just sort of built up over time. And then I sent it all at once. And that's if you want to do that, that's fine. But 
I'm going to let you all in on a little secret about my workflow, certainly, and and probably John's. When we're blasting through these to prep a show, uh, the ones that are really long, I actually save and come back to later. Because if I if I'm in a time crunch to prep a show, much better to get through five questions than one, right? And and so it was Marion's question that I came back to later, and I realized actually this is three or four separate questions. This is great. I can you know chunk this up or whatever. Uh, but it took me probably an extra couple of days or whatever to come back around to that. And so I said to Marion, if you, just know that you can do it, whatever, however you want to send it is fine. But if you want, if it, it would it would fit our workflow better. If you actually sent each of those questions as an individual email, even if you did them all back to back to back. Uh, so I, I throw that out there just just so you know how we're working. Again, if you wind up doing it all in one, that's fine. Just know that it might, you know, might fall not quite uh, as high on our workflow as uh, as it would. But we'll get to it. Yeah. Is that is that how you is that how you work through these two, John? Or, or no? Uh, I like little bite sized chunks. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Bite sized chunks are good. All right. Uh, so that's that. 206-666-GEEK is the number to call. And of course, GEEK is, say it with me, 40, 4335. <laughs> there you go. Uh, how else can they reach us here, John? Skype to MacGeekGab. That's right. Uh, Facebook.com slash MacGeekGab. Or Twitter to, well, MacGeekGab, if you'd like. Uh, on Twitter also, I am John Ebron. He is... Dave Hamilton. Uh, he who is not here is Pilot Pete. <laughs> or Mac Observer on Twitter as well. Uh, yeah, I think that does it. We'd like to thank Michael Johnston, of course, as always, uh, every time for converting this show into AAC for us and for you. Michael is also the host of We Have Communicators, which is a fantastic show about all things iOS that he does uh, with some great guests most often he's got adam christensen and jeff gamut on there with him but uh but always adding other people in here and there too which is awesome so he does a great job with that show highly recommend you listen and uh and tell him how much you love it uh and then also cashfly c-a-c-h-e-f-l-y.com for all of your bandwidth uh from us to you i think that does it we're taking next week off as we said We'll be back on Monday the 30th to finish out April uh, and, uh, and see what agenda John has cooked up. Have fun and don't get caught. Yeah. Made up.